This is our second week in our Harry Potter series. We are looking at the stories of Harry Potter to learn kind of what we can, um, some meaning around the Harry Potter series and spirituality. Now, we're in our series, Harry Potter and the Search for Meaning. No requirement to watch the movies or read the books before this series. So we're going to look at a few themes throughout the series. And today we're looking at the theme of love. And, and if you've ever seen any kind of fairy tale or fantasy type movie, almost all of them are themed around the idea of a love interest. You have the, a princess who awakens from a kiss by a prince and they fall in love and they live happily ever after and that's gross and not real life at all. This is a little more like real life. Cinderella's Prince Charming says you are the love of his life, forgets what you look like, and has to put a shoe on every girl in the kingdom. Yes. Harry Potter does have some moments of love interest, of romantic love, but it's not really the theme of the story. The theme of the story is a different kind of love. But in Harry Potter, they do brew love potions. And talking about those love potions, Professor Slughorn says the potion doesn't really create love. It is impossible to manufacture or imitate love. Now, this will simply cause a powerful infatuation, powerful potion in this room. You take the love potion and you feel this obsessive infatuation over someone. And then the potion wears off and the feeling goes away. For thousands of years, humans have been trying to create love potions. In the 16th century, there was a book called The Book of Secrets of Albertus Magnus of the Virtues of Herbs, Stones, and Certain Beasts, which sounds like a book from Harry Potter. It was from the 16th century. The recipe for a love potion said to mix periwinkle, which was a flower, with crushed earthworms, and then mix it in your food and give it to your partner, and they will have these feelings of love and affection and infatuation for you. So if I'm not being as affectionate with Kylie as I should be, she can just crush up some earthworms and put it in my spaghetti, and I'll just magically feel so passionately in love. Kind of a weird deal. There's one recipe from that book um, <laughs> said to bake, make dough, but luckily we don't have any kids here. It said do it while you're naked so that the sweat from your body gets in the dough. And then when you bake it and give it to the person, they will just magically feel in love with you from your sweaty bread. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting? We go to extremes to feel that feeling of infatuation and love. How many times have we struggled in relationships and questioned relationships because we didn't feel in love? We didn't have that feeling of affection for the other person. Am I really in love? Do I really love them? The love potion is a mixture of ingredients that create this temporary high. Our brain is in a lot of ways this cauldron of ingredients that mixes together, ingredients of testosterone and estrogen and serotonin and dopamine, and they mix together and they create this feeling of affection that we call love. It's just a drug. It's just hormones going off in our brain through our body. So Harry Potter teaches us that this feeling of love is not actually love at all. It's obsession. It's a drug. 
You can't magically create love. So the love from a potion isn't really true love. So while love is the main theme of Harry Potter, it is not the drug-induced kind of love. The story begins when Harry Potter's parents are killed by this guy named Voldemort. Voldemort's real name, he's the villain of the story. His real name is Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle is here on the left. Tom Riddle eventually turns into Voldemort. Why he doesn't have a nose, I don't know. Does the story even ever explain why he loses his nose? Um, Tom Riddle was orphaned as a child. He never experienced a loving family. You're going to think about that the rest of the time, aren't you? Why doesn't he have a nose? <laughs> I have Do you? Yeah. Okay. That's not his, his body on the right isn't his original body. It's like a creation. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's not his, yeah, I remember that now. So Tom Riddle started as a child who was orphaned. His dad was what's called a muggle. It was a person who is not magical. It's not a witch or a wizard. Um, his mom was a witch. The story goes that his mom used a love potion on his dad. So there was no true love involved. And when the potion wore off, the dad abandoned the family. Um, Tom's mom died right after childbirth. So he never experienced true love from a family as a child. And so he makes choices and decisions throughout his life that do not reflect love. And he eventually becomes this dark wizard known as Voldemort. And he hears about this prophecy of a boy that will be his downfall. And the boy's name is Harry Potter. So he breaks into Harry Potter's house. He kills Harry Potter's parents and tries to kill Harry. And there is a scene I want to show you that kind of depicts uh, Voldemort this. started to gather some followers, brought them over to the dark side. Anyone that stood up to him ended up dead. Your parents fought against him, but nobody lived once he decided to kill him. Nobody, not one, except you. So Harry's mom, Lily, jumps in front of Voldemort and protects Harry. The story says that her act of loving protection tapped into this ancient, powerful magic called love, and that Voldemort could not overcome that love. So the killing curse reflected back and hit him, which is how he lost his body and his nose. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. So Dumbledore explains this to Harry later on. He says, your mother died to save you. And if there is one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. This reminds me of uh, words from Julian of Norwich. She lived 14th century in England, and she experienced the horrors of the Black Death. And she was, when she was in her 30s, she experienced a 
illness that uh, she thought she was on her deathbed. And during that time, she saw visions from Christ. And she wrote down these visions in a book called uh, Revelations of Divine Love. And this book from the 14th century is the oldest English book written by a woman that we have uh, still surviving. And from that, she writes, Jesus Christ, therefore, who himself overcame evil with good, is our true mother. That is a progressive idea for the 1300s in England. We received our being from him, and this is where his maternity starts. And with it comes the gentle protection and guard of love, which will never cease to surround us. It kind of sounds like Albus Dumbledore. He says, you are protected, in short, to Harry, by your ability to love. Love is protection. God is love, and love protects. The letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love is not, love is not a happy feast. this powerful choice of protecting those who have no protection. Love is this um, powerful voice of um, providing hope in hopeless moments. It's not a feeling of affection. It's a powerful choice we make to protect those who have no protection. Dumbledore says, There is a room in the Department of Mysteries that is kept locked at all times, and it contains a force that is at once more wonderful and more terrible than death, than human intelligence, and then the forces of nature. And it is also perhaps the most mysterious of the many subjects for study that reside there. The powerful force that he is talking about is love. It is the most powerful and mysterious force in magic in the universe, in the world of Harry Potter. Paul, in a letter, that same letter to the church in Corinth that he wrote in the first century, he said, I can have a gift of prophecy. He said, I can fathom all of the mysteries of the universe and all knowledge of all things. And I can have faith that can move mountains, faith that can make the Seahawks win. He said, but if you do not have love, then all of those things are meaningless. He says, if you do not have love, you are nothing. Love is everything. Love is the reason for it all, for everything that is. So Voldemort and Dumbledore have a conversation before they fight. Voldemort says to Albus, nothing I have seen in the world has supported your pronouncements that love is more powerful than my kind of magic, Dumbledore. And Dumbledore says, perhaps you've been looking in the wrong places. Because Voldemort wasn't looking in the places where love exists. So where does love exist? John 15, Jesus says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love exists where there is self-sacrifice, where there is selflessness. Love exists in moments where we put the needs or the... Um, desires of someone else before our own. That's where love exists. And Harry survives Voldemort's attack. Voldemort loses the battle because of 
Lily's love for her son that protected him. So her sacrifice was a weapon against evil, protection for the innocent. And this self-sacrifice idea goes through all of the stories of Harry Potter. And gosh, if you look at almost any story in literature throughout human history, you see themes of self-sacrifice. And the first book, first movie, there is a scene where little Ron is playing the chess game and he sacrifices his own life so that Harry can go on. Um, in the final book, Hermione and Ron are going to go on this final journey with Harry to defeat Voldemort. And her parents are not magical people. And she knows that if she loses this battle, then, then Voldemort will come after her parents and, and kill them. So she goes to her parents' house and she removes any trace that she ever existed in her parents' life. protecting her parents from death, from being killed. A huge, huge moment of self-sacrifice. We see that theme throughout some Greek tragedies, ancient Greek tragedies. We see the theme in um, Lord of the Rings. Remember when Gandalf is on the bridge, he sacrifices his life so that the rest of the people can survive and go on. We see the theme in Star Wars when Obi-Wan Kenobi sacrifices his life with Darth Vader so the rest can survive and go on. There's something about self-sacrifice that we understand to be a powerful uh, expression of love and a powerful way to overcome darkness, to overcome evil. So self-sacrifice is love, and it's the most powerful form of magic. The early Christians believed that this self-sacrifice happened in the life of Jesus when Jesus was killed. And so they understood his death and his resurrection to be one of those moments happening in real time in their life where somebody sacrificed themselves so that others could live. Matthew 20, Jesus says, just as the human one, some translations say son of man, didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. They understood Christ's death as the most climactic moment in human history. Something about that moment rescued people. I no longer believe in the um, theory of atonement called penal substitutionary atonement, where um, our sin separates us from God, and, and God needed a bloody sacrifice of his son before we can uh, be loved by God. And that theory of atonement exists later on in Christianity, and it's not quite as common in the earliest days. Um, I believe that the reason Jesus died is because there were a group of political and religious people who could not handle the message of Jesus. It was too countercultural. It was too against the values of the world and people in power. 
And that early Christians understood that sacrifice as meaning sacrifices to God before he will accept you and before he will love you. And they understood the death of Jesus as being one final sacrifice where we don't have to do that anymore to be accepted and loved by God. It's done. It's final. There's no more of this primitive, bloody sacrifice before we feel a connection to the divine. So the death, resurrection of Christ taught people that Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's presence is in us, is here. There's nothing that we have to do to see that or to realize that. The opposite of love, the uh, anti-love, non-love in our world tries to tear apart and separate and destroy. But I believe that love unifies Love repairs, love heals, love brings together. If anti-love, if the opposite of love destroys, then love heals and stops the destruction, it protects. There's a paleontologist and a geologist who became a Jesuit friar. And I'm not going to pronounce his name because I can't remember how it's pronounced in its French. Anyone know French here? He said, the physical structure of the universe is love. He said, driven by the forces of love, the fragments of the world seek each other so that the world may come into being. Hate divides, love brings together. When life is fragmented and broken, love is what has the power to heal and bring it back together. And he saw this Jesuit priest through his scientific lens and scientific understanding of the world, the way the world, the universe functions, the way that everything is made up of smaller things, the way that our bodies are made up of trillions of atoms, the way um, that everything is connected, our ecosystems and energy and human connection and gravity, all of that, he, comes, he sees it as coming from one source, God, and God is love. His logic is that love is the physical structure of the universe. Love is the point of it all. Love is the energy that keeps everything going. Colossians 1, Paul says that Christ is reconciling to himself all things through his sacrifice on the cross. Christ, somehow, mysteriously, the cross is bringing all things together. Love unifies, love reunites, love heals. This is why I believe that the, um, the vision, the mission for this church, for Disciples of Christ denomination is this, a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. Because where there seems to be so much brokenness in our world, in our politics, in our families, we believe that what will bring it back together is love. Love looks like kindness. It looks like listening to someone else's point of view instead of telling them how to think. It is something as simple as that that brings together rather than tears apart, that begins that slow, slow process of healing divides that separate us. Maximilian Kolbe was a Romanian Holocaust, uh, or Franciscan Polish friar who uh, went to the Holocaust at Auschwitz concentration camp. 
Before he went to the concentration camp, his church provided shelter to thousands of refugees and Jews during World War II. He was imprisoned in 1941 at the concentration camp. In July of that year, three men escaped the camp. And as punishment, the guards of the camp uh, were going to murder 10 people to show the prisoners um, the consequences of running away. Maximilian, they kind of randomly picked names. And Maximilian heard one of the, the men cry out for mercy, saying that he has a family home. Please don't do this. Maximilian steps in and says, I'll take. You can take my life instead of his. And the guards said, okay. They put him in the prison cell for three weeks. The story goes that he prayed and sang out loud for three weeks straight, lifting everyone's spirits up. At the end of three weeks, the guards got so sick of him, they gave him lethal injection. And he held out his arm willingly when it was time to do that. Self-sacrifice to save, to protect someone else. Dr. Livju Librescu was a Romanian Holocaust survivor. He became an engineer when he, uh, and then he moved to the United States, and he was a professor at Virginia Tech. And on April 16, 2007, a shooter opened fire on campus at Virginia Tech. And when he realized what was happening, he and his classroom of students, he, run, he ran to the door and he held his body against the door to keep the shooter from breaking in. 76-year-old man. And uh, the shooter was able to get five shots off and, and one of them, all of them hit the professor, one in the head, killing him. But his sacrifice meant that all of the students except one in his classroom escaped and survived. Powerful, powerful example of uh, the spell of protection. It's not some magic you need a wand for. It means Sometimes risking your life to save someone else. Sometimes it means putting aside um, your interests and desires to help someone else, make sure their needs are met. Self-sacrifice is a powerful form of love. And wherever we see that self-sacrifice taking place, we see God, we see love. First Corinthians, Paul says, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. Tongues, languages, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. But now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Love is the strongest and oldest magic. Love is the physical structure of the universe. Love runs through your veins. We're not always aware of it. And we don't always live out of that love. But it is the energy that keeps everything going. And it comes from a source. It comes from God, from the divine. That love is in you. That love is for you. The story of Jesus says that love overcomes death itself and survives. The day before Martin Luther King Memphis, Tennessee, it was a crowd of sanitation workers and they were on strike. And he explains to them a, a version of the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, you know, most of you probably know the story. The man is on the side of the road. He's been beaten by robbers. He can't move. He needs help. 
Two people walk by, one of them is a priest, and they keep going. Martin Luther King said, the people who walked by um, the person on the road asked the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? And he said, the good Samaritan stopped and he helped the man in need. And said, the good Samaritan asked the question, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Self-sacrifice gets us out of our own mentality of what's best for me and opens us up to those around us and their needs. So instead of asking, what am I risking to go out and help someone? Is it really worth that risk for me? We turn it around and say, what is the danger of not helping them? What would happen if I don't reach out and help them? That is self-sacrifice, and that is that love, um, that magic of love pouring out of us. That's when it happens. That's when it moves through the world. That's when um, what Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes on earth, is when we live that way. Dumbledore said, do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living, and above all, those who live without love. I kind of disagree with Dumbledore on that. What if instead of pitying those who live without love and anyone who lives out of behaviors of fear and insecurity and hate, they are living out of something that isn't love? But instead of having pity on them, why don't we love them? Love people who live without love. Because most likely those people need to know what it looks like and feels like to experience love and to be loved. And Jesus said the most important things in this brief human life that we have is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It all comes back to love as followers of Jesus. That is why you exist on this earth. Start by waking up to the truth that that you are loved. That you do not need to live out of fear, out of insecurity, because there is a source an energy that brought this world into existence that flows through your veins. Neil deGrasse Tyson said the atoms that make up stars are the ones that are in your body. <laughs> everything is connected. The source of all things flows through everything. God is in all things. When you see yourself in the mirror, see the divine image. When you see the people around you, See the divine image of God. So every time we do something as simple as put your phone down to listen to the person who's in the room with you, that is an act of self-sacrifice and love. As simple as that. The moment that you do something that puts your needs behind someone else, that is an act of self-sacrifice and love. It can change things. May you be aware this coming week that the presence of love, the divine, the source of all things is in you. And everyone we come across, may you see the divine in them and treat them with kindness, with respect, with love, and understand that it seriously is love that will bring the kingdom of God to earth. 
that will change our families and our homes and our societies and our communities and our businesses. It starts with you all. Thank you for being a part of Mission Gathering and our desire to do that in East Side, Seattle. So go in peace. We'll see you next time. Amen.